I sometimes tell folks that, you know, government actually is not afraid of failure. We're afraid of failing unpredictably. And I, I wanted to make sure that when we approached this problem, um, we'd be open about what works and what doesn't work. And if it was a failure, just call it a day. Hello, and welcome to Public Spend Forum's brand new podcast on innovation and success stories in the public sector market. My name is Raj Sharma, and I founded Public Spend Forum because I know every day there are great stories happening of people innovating, of suppliers innovating, and making a difference. And our goal with this podcast is to really bring those stories to light so we can see that each one of us can do the same and have a major impact in the way we solve problems together. Hi, I'm Frank McNally, the Director of Learning and Content Development here at Public Spend Forum, and I was really fortunate to sit down and talk with Dave Zvinich, the Acquisition Manager at 18F. Now, if you don't know, 18F is sort of a startup within the federal government. They operate inside of the General Services Administration, and you may know General Services Administration, or GSA, acts as sort of the central buyer for the federal government. And what 18F does uh, inside GSA is to help GSA and other agencies adopt the latest coding and software development practices that are being used by top companies around the world. Dave and I had a chance to talk about a really exciting project that he's leading at 18F, and it's going against the grain of what we're seeing in the public sector these days, which is really large, high-dollar, long-term, cumbersome contracts. They cost a lot for small companies to compete for. They're Honestly, they're, they're prohibitive. So 18F went in the other direction with uh, what they're calling a micro-purchase platform, and they built this platform from scratch, and it lets small businesses and, and any company really bid on on projects for less than $3,500, which is the spending limit on government credit cards. It's a really exciting and eye-opening project. So let's listen to my interview with Dave as he tells us about this awesome innovation story. I'm Dave Svetich. I'm the Director of Acquisition uh, for ATM. Um, so today actually is my one-year anniversary at ETF. Congratulations. Thank you. Before this, I was the general counsel of the D.C. Council, uh, which is the legislature in D.C. Um, and by training, I am a lawyer, but I also am a self-taught uh, full-stack software developer, uh, which makes ATF a nice place for a government lawyer uh, who has an interest in acquisition. So just to recap that, that was a lawyer turned self-taught full-stack developer, turned acquisition manager for a digital services incubation shop within the General Services Administration. So we had to ask him, how exactly did he come up with this idea to use the micro-purchase threshold in such a creative and innovative way? Well, so the idea came um, through a series of conversations that I had with other folks here at 18F. Um, one of the one of the things that I tell folks uh, about my role here at 18F is that I want federal procurement to be joyful. Um, I want us to think about buying software and buying professional services as not a thing to be dreaded, um, but a thing that should be easy and, and frankly fun. Um, and the the analogy that I get, and people, so people immediately react to like, that's impossible. It's <laughs> impossible for you to imagine federal procurement to be joyful. Um, and I, I counter with, well, actually, no, In it's shopping, right? People love to shop. Right. Um, people love to go to the mall. People love to go to the store. People love to shop online. They, you know, the idea of shopping is, is, is intuitive to most folks, and it, people derive joy at it. Um, and 
sort of the, the sort of the shortest and simplest example of that is the use of the credit card. People, you know, love to swipe the credit card and get a thing and be happy when they're done. Um, and it turns out there's a very clear federal analog, which is the P card. Um, there's also the benefit of having uh, the P card uh, limit the, the micro purchase threshold of uh, $3,500 or less. You can get a lot for $3,500. Um, and there are very few restrictions on how you use the, the P card. Um, there are certain laws, and we have to make sure that we're, we're abiding by them. But we could be very creative about the acquisition process um, and, and have a pretty wide berth of vendors who could participate in the marketplace. And so the original experiment was just to see if anyone would show up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had. Uh, we had this notion that it would be cool if we could buy, you know, custom code, um, open source code for uh, $3,500 or less. But, you know, a lot of my peers, uh, and frankly, even to a certain extent, me, um, were, we were skeptical about whether vendors would care and whether there'd be enough interest to to research uh, an issue, um, bid on an issue, and uh, to deliver um, open source software um, for less than $3,500. Would people care? That was a really important question. $3,500 is not a lot of money in the federal marketplace. But it turned out that people did care. A lot of people, in fact. One guy, Brendan Sudall, cared so much about this that he was willing to do the work for a dollar. His winning bid, a dollar, was accepted. He had two weeks to do the work and write the code. He did it. It passed all the tests, and it was outstanding. Project completed, success achieved. In writing on his own blog, Brendan said, I figured it would be cool to be a part of this first micro-purchase experiment and demonstrate that there are people, at least one, but I think a lot more, willing and excited to help out on meaningful, civic-minded initiatives. I love working on little web projects in my free time. This is $1 more than I make on those, and this one actually helps people. approach this in sort of the, the, the traditional 18F way of being experimental, um, ad, ad openly admitting that we don't know all the answers, having a, a degree of humility about that this might not work, and put it out on a blog post, use sort of a hacky, you know, sort of duct tape approach mm-hmm. to getting the bids uh, into the system, but try to be very transparent about it. And we had a ton of interest um, and really great results. And so once we sort of had that initial indication that, yep, there are vendors who are out there, and new, uh, new and existing uh, participants in the federal marketplace um, that this could actually work. Fantastic. So you, you kind of mentioned that your first hypothesis was, was that vendors would bid on very small opportunities and successfully deliver the requirements. How did you guys build that first version of the platform in a way that you could test the hypothesis, but like in, in the lowest effort possible? Because that's the goal, right? Yep. And the irony is that we... We almost did it wrong, um, and we learned a lot from that that first experiment and sort of unintended um, and helpful uh, lessons. So we didn't build it the easiest and lowest possible way initially. Um, we actually built something that was more than we needed, and it didn't work. Um, and we were scrambling a little bit to try to figure out what actually could work. And we've blogged about this a little bit. We, we built initially a an application that when we got close to the auction date, it would not have worked. It, mm-hmm. it was failing tests. We knew that it wasn't going to be ready. Um, and we we were able to cobble together what should have been the original MVP in the first place, which was a combination of GitHub issues, 
and uh, Google Form to make it all work. That's what we should have done in the first place. Um, but we, you know, we went through the effort of trying to build an app in the beginning rather than starting with a Google form and GitHub in the beginning. Hmm. Um, and so we learned that lesson. How quickly um, did you learn that that was the case? Like, was it was it really apparent early, or did you yeah, just was, have to test some things? It was before the auction, so I mean, okay. from you know about two weeks of lost time, so it wasn't a huge amount of effort mm-hmm. and expended. Um, but you know, that's two weeks that we'll never get back. There's a few things I love about what he just said. First of all, he's taking responsibility for two weeks of lost time. He's not happy about it. But on the other end, it's great that they caught it when they did. There's a lot of projects out there in government that take much longer than that before anybody will admit that something has gone wrong. So I did want to find out like, just how much courage it took them to stand up and say, you know what, we, we failed. We need to try again. I don't know if it takes courage. It, it would have been worse to have failed. I mean, failed and not admit that you could have done it differently. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes tell folks that, you know, if government actually is not afraid of failure. We're afraid of failing unpredictably. Um, and I, I wanted to make sure that when we approached this problem, um, we'd be open about what works and what doesn't work. Um, and if it was a failure, just call it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not eager to waste people's time on something that's not gonna matter um, for, for us or for, for the vendors or for the, you know, for the public. Um, and so, it was sort of baked into the the 18F DNA that you know, when we when we find something that works, we're gonna we're gonna tell folks about it, and when we find stuff that doesn't work, we're gonna tell folks about it. Failing in two weeks is a that sort of overcomes the sunk cost fallacy that I feel like weighs down a lot of totally. government procurement or software development efforts, where it's just you get so far in and you've put so much time into it that you almost have to see it succeed. Where in your case, you found out you know what we were building. We scrapped it, or you scrapped it, I assume, and yep. then you built something that actually worked, and, and you still pulled it off. Yep, and and it was actually it was the best thing that happened because by getting that reset, it allowed us to rethink some of our assumptions about the platform and gave us a new greenfield. I mean, the sunk cost fallacy is real, um, and what people I think fail to appreciate about it is that sometimes when you just write it off, you actually can start fresh, mm-hmm. um, and we definitely felt that with the platform. So you've created a few new versions of the micro-purchase platform since that first batch of validated learning. Mm-hmm. And you got a lot of feedback from the community. There, was, uh, there were threads in Hacker News. Mm-hmm. There were, there were you know, articles in the Federal Times, some good, some bad, but largely good. How do you decide like, what information to sort of incorporate or what type of feedback to incorporate into your next iteration versus like, what to keep in kind of a backlog? Mm-hmm. Imagine it's on any short supply. And in terms of how we get new data we, we set up a lot of experiments, you know, no idea is a bad idea. It's just what we think we can, what we can learn from it. And so, you know, we're iterating on auction models. Um, we're iterating on how we describe um, requirements. We've already learned some really interesting things about um, how prices can be determined um, based on how we describe a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there are lots of really interesting data points that we're collecting along the way. And we're trying to be explicit uh, internally about what we're trying to, to prove with each experiment and also treating it as like we have a huge amount of lessons to learn and the community has been very um, receptive um, to this and open with us about what works and what doesn't work. So open, in fact, that they got all types of crazy feedback. Some people suggested that this was unethical. Others said it was illegal. One person even commented that this would lead to marketplace dystopia. 
I thought this was really ironic because all we hear these days is calls for procurement reform and things to be done differently. Here you have 18F trying an experiment, admittedly an experiment. Did it go perfectly? No. But was it successful? Yes, they delivered the code. So I wanted to find out more about how Dave and his team were able to persevere through what I imagine might have been a difficult time. Well, the data point that really mattered to us in the first experiment was really the level of effort. Um, we, we did not know that vendors would show up. Um, the $1 thing was a surprise to everybody. Um, but what we were really trying to emphasize as that first experiment is, is there a, is there a vendor community out there? Um, will vendors show up on this this hacky GitHub Google form thing? And if not, then we should we should call it a day. We knew we weren't going to get it perfect the first go round, um, but we wanted to make sure that we got a platform that made sense to pursue. Um, so you know, I wasn't I wasn't put off by you know sort of the reactions, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Um, the data points that really mattered to me is the level of competition, um, the interest in the platform, um, and and frankly. You know, we got we got a, a great result from Brendan Sudall uh, delivering one one dollar worth of code. Um, I you know I think everyone sort of acknowledges that you know the value of it is greater is greater than one dollar, but he received a dollar. But we didn't know if we could do this repeatedly, and so when we built the platform, we wanted to you know try a few more. Um, and since then, we've done um, fifteen auctions. Um, we're doing another seven, I think, today or tomorrow. Um, and so we're really starting to to scale up. And, you know, our hypothesis after the first experiment is that by doing multiple of these auctions, we'd actually see sort of a normalization in the pricing. Um, and I think that's that's largely true, that we're, we're getting, we still get $1 bids. Um, and we spend actually a lot of time talking to to vendors about, you know, their experience in the, in the micro-purchase experiment and what did they, what did they, why did they, did they expect the $1 bid and we didn't? And um, a lot of vendors actually did. A lot of vendors um, viewed the one dollar as a non-surprising result, um, and you know uh, there are a variety of reasons of it. But when we started actually talking to people about this and having real data that we could use, um, that was the most important thing for us. So there you have it: the three ingredients to eighteen F style innovation: work in the open, listen to your users, and don't be afraid to fail. I want to thank Dave Zvinich for taking the time to talk with us and share such great information about how they built the micro-purchase portal. If you want to find out more about what 18F is up to, check them out at 18f.gsa.gov. And if you want to learn more about Public Spend Forum and some of the products that we're working on to support innovation in the public sector marketplace, go to publicspendforum.net. And as a bonus, for any of you out there who want to get more in the weeds on buying and developing digital services in the public sector, stick with us and we'll get more information from Dave on testing and prototyping and MVPs and all these other things that get us geeks out there excited. Fantastic. I have just a few more questions. Sure. Some of the, some getting into a little bit more of the technical parts of, of your process, but right. you mentioned having data points as sort of your North Star in this. Mm-hmm. Is that for other teams out there that are that are doing agile development or that are compiling requirements for something that might be developed iteratively, is that sort of composition of data points what allows you to sort of stop researching or qualify an idea or qualifying an idea and just go ahead and ship that first piece? Yeah, that and talking to users can't be underemphasized. I, I think the we spend a fair amount of time between um, the first auction. Um, 
like the, the $1 auction, and then the creation of the platform, talking to users, trying to understand what they would want in the platform, internal and external. Um, and that that's really important. You can't rely on data alone. Um, data is, is necessary but not sufficient. Um, what helped us, well, there are a variety of things that helped us get to just shipping. Um, one is that we have just we have a really great team that pri- that that at its core values the idea of iterative development and sort of continuous improvement. Um, the from a technical standpoint, believe it or not, the test coverage is what allows us to really move quickly. Um, knowing that if we make a change to the underlying code base, it's not going to break the platform. Knowing that we can improve it on a daily basis is really is really crucial. Um, so having broad test coverage, having really clear, um, uh, a resilient platform as a service, and having really resilient a- application layer um, allows us to be effective in a way that you know a lot of a lot of uh, products in the government just don't have that level of test coverage, that resiliency baked in from from day one. So what you're emphasizing here is the importance of testing things. When you do new things, if you can test it and ensure that it meets the metrics or the expectation that you had, then you can feel good about releasing that out and then moving on to the next test. So I would imagine that it's important for your test to be very controlled and, and, and short in terms and not overscoped. Yeah, and, and so let me let me disambiguate a few things with tests too. So there's the sort of the meta test about like what we're trying to demonstrate. But at the code level, there's also just tests. And you know, one of the things that's really emphasized in Agile is the idea of you know test-driven development or continuous testing and continuous integration. Um, and um, our products have continuous integration baked into their core. Um, they have you know, before you write a function, you write a test, you write a failing test. Um, and having that sort of um, test-driven development ethic baked into how we develop is really important. Um, and so that we know that the product itself will work as expected. And then at a higher level, the, you know, how we just make decisions about the product and what the product should and should not do, um, that requires some explicit um Direction based on what our research demonstrates, what the data show, um, and how how we should uh, prioritize, frankly, features or, or not. Excellent. So I know we have some folks uh, in the acquisition community that are struggling with some agile terms. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions on sure. that, and we will wrap up. Um, do you, in your mind, do you distinguish between an MVP and a prototype? Or yeah, I, a prototype. So. And, and this it gets a little bit fuzzy. Um, a prototype is um, an opportunity to react to something. Um, an MVP is something that you can put in front of a user. Um, and so prototyping, I, I always think of it as earlier in the stage and an MVP is later. Um, you know, there are sort of, with all of these things, there are degrees um, of what, what constitutes an MVP. For some people, an MVP is a lot lower than others. Um, but... The, the from from my standpoint, a prototype um, allows you to start really reacting to your concept, um, and an MVP is ideally supposed to be something that you can start working with and knowing that it won't work, um, but at least you know put in front of a user, see how they react to it, and then start getting some validated learning. And that's what it's all about, right? Just confirming your hypotheses through as little effort as possible. Yep, working software at every at every sprint. Um, and getting in front of real users. Fantastic. 
That's our show for today. We'd like to thank all of our guests for sharing how they are making a difference in the public sector. We'd also like to thank the people who will make this show a reality. Public Impact Podcast is made possible by our host, Raj Sharma, the co-founder of Public Spend Forum, and frequent contributor Shelley Kapoor Collins, who keeps our pipeline full of great talent and compelling stories. We are produced by Jonathan Messenger and Frank McNally with audio production from True Grit Music in Austin, Texas. If you'd like to learn more about Public Spend Forum, check us out on the web at publicspendforum.net or on Twitter at pspendforum. A final shout out to all you public servants out there doing great work for citizens and taxpayers. We hope to one day feature your impact story on our show. Until then, thanks for listening to the Public Impact Podcast.